All right. It is a joy to be in this group. You know, there's not a group of people in the world I'd rather be with every year than come and, and just be amongst you guys. So uh, thanks for letting me be involved with you. It is my pleasure to introduce you to Randy Friesen. He's from our church, uh, Grace and I, our church uh, back in Abbotsford. And the first time I ever heard him speak was at a, a Wednesday morning prayer group that I go to every Wednesday morning uh, for praying for missions. And he was a missionary that came for 20 minutes or so and shared. And he really understands risk, how walking with God, you know, there's risk involved. Uh, it's one of those funny things with God. There's no risk to follow God, you know. But in human terms, there's lots of risk. And uh, when I heard him speaking, I thought, this is the guy. He needs to come and share with us. And so I'm just really pleased that he's here today and uh, will be with us over the week. He grew up in Kenya, I believe, for maybe the first three years of his life. And uh, that's his first memories there. Uh, at the age of 19, he was traveling around the world. And uh, in Jerusalem, he committed his life to the Lord. At that point, I wouldn't be surprised if we hear a little bit about them. him. He's been working in missions for 34 years. And uh, he's married to Marjorie, his wife, for, of 30 years. And they have two great kids that are back in Abbotsford, the same town we live in. And back in 1989, he started something called Youth Mission International. It's a, a missions discipleship training program for young people. And, and uh, they, came, they uh, had up to 1,000 participants a year in that organization. And then it mer merged with Mennonite Brethren Missions uh, in 1999. And uh, in 2004, he became the leader of uh, the whole Mennonite uh, Brethren Missions, which he's still doing today. So he's currently on a six-week tour around the world and, and with those responsibilities. Came from Thailand and Myanmar. Uh, has a, uh, three more weeks before he gets home, but we have the privilege of having him with us this weekend. And his hobbies are motorcycle riding and hiking. And one thing he loves the most is equipping missionaries to do the work that they've been called to. So uh, when he gets up here, I'm sure you're going to enjoy just the things he has to share with us and the inspiration he brings. And as you meet him during the day, uh, just shake his hand and uh, enjoy him, get in conversation with him. Thanks, Randy, for coming. My heart is with those who are living on mission with Jesus, and this is a place that's full of those kinds of people, so um, it's a real privilege to be here with you, and I want to say thank you to Darwin and Jean and Grace and Brent and others who have welcomed me and invited me to serve you here, and so uh, I feel like I'm at home. Now, the theme that I've heard in the last 24 hours since I've had numerous conversations with you is your heart to be disciples who make disciples. And as I was praying for this event and what the Lord wanted to share with us, it was this theme of discipleship that he kept bringing me back to. And so that's where we're going to spend time in the next three days. We're going to talk about what it means to be a disciple in the way of Jesus. I have the privilege of also being here with my friend Heinrich. Heinrich comes from Germany. He's a missions pastor at a church that is having a tremendous outreach to uh, the many immigrants from North Africa and the Middle East. And uh, his heart is with mission. And uh, I, I just am so encouraged by what God is doing in Heinrich's life. And so I just commend him to you as, uh, as a servant who is living on mission within a local church context there in Germany. It's a really strategic time for Germany right now. And uh, you're actually showing the rest of us around the world how to be a welcoming church to the strangers in our midst. And uh, so we, we thank you for coming here this weekend as well, Heinrich. I have an opportunity to spend time with the church in many different parts of the world, and I'm, I'm just profoundly impacted by the stories of disciples who are living on mission, in particular in costly settings. I'm some, somehow I'm drawn to that. I'm drawn to the places where you have to pay a price to know and follow Jesus. I was in uh, the largest uh, evangelical seminary in Jakarta, Indonesia, some years ago, and I interviewed a young man who had gone through a very traumatic experience. One year before, a mob of 5,000 Indonesians had, had uh, attacked the gates to this, uh, this seminary, 
And uh, he was in his upstairs dorm room with a few of his friends in a Bible study around 9 o'clock in the evening when this mob came through the gates. And within uh, a few minutes, they were burning, torching the buildings. They assaulted and killed some people. And so he uh, heard this noise outside, and he ran out of the dorm rooms, and some guys grabbed him, and they pulled him to the side of the, the courtyard, and they put a bag over his head, and somebody pulled out a knife, and they slit his throat from ear to ear, opened him right up. So I saw a picture. Someone had the presence of mind to take a picture of him, a couple of pictures, actually. He's lying on the ground in a pool of blood. His throat is completely open. Like, there's just, it's just everything's cut. And uh, he said, this is what happened to me. I was lying on the ground, and I was standing beside my body. I saw my body there, and an angel was right beside me. The angel took me by the hand, and I went right into the presence of the Lord. I approached a city full of light, and Jesus rode up to me on a big white horse. He welcomed me into that place. He took me into a hall where people were worshiping, and I enjoyed it. I was, and then he took me into another hall. It was empty, and the distance was a throne. I knew this was a throne of judgment, and he said I didn't feel I was ready to stand before that throne. So I said, can I go back where the people are worshiping? And Jesus escorted me back into that worship hall. And then he, he, he said, I'm sending you back to your people. I want you to prepare your people to meet me in this place. Tell your people about this place and prepare them to meet me here. And so he said, I woke up. I was lying on the ground. And I was in this pool of my own blood, and I was very thirsty. So I took some of the blood, my own blood, and I, I, I actually moistened my lips with it. And then I passed out. And some people found me, and I saw pictures of him being taken, carried like a sack of potatoes. He was carried into a car. They took him to a hospital, and he went to emergency. When they looked at him in emergency, and they saw everything that had been cut, they said, we, we don't have the capacity to stitch all this together. So we're going to just sew him shut, and he will die. He's almost dead already. So they sewed him shut. This man walked out of that hospital one week later with nothing but a scar around his neck. Jesus miraculously healed him. So here he's talking to me one year later. He's got a, 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 a scar about that thick all the way around his neck as a testimony to that story. And uh, his face was full of the light and the glory of God. And he was very clear about the mission that Jesus had sent him on. His job was to prepare, to tell his people about that place and to prepare them to meet Jesus in that place. Are we clear on what our mission is? So let's go back to bedrock. Let's go back to the red letters. Let's go back to the bolded red letters. Let's go back to the, the last few verses in Matthew's gospel, right? Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father into the name of the Son, into the name of the Spirit, and teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you, and I will be with you to the very end of the age. That's Matthew's last recorded words of Jesus. And that has inspired and focused the energies of the church for the last two millennium. And it's one of the reasons why we're here, probably the core reason why we're here in this room here today. And if you, this is the 500th year of the Reformation, and it's being celebrated around Europe. Uh, and, and I'm a part, it's my spiritual heritage is the Radical Reformation. And uh, those who, uh, who really, if you were to ask the Radical Reformers, Menno Simons and those guys 500 years ago, what's the core of this great commission? Because this was the text they quoted in the courtrooms of you know, Salzburg and Zurich and all the other courtrooms where they were tried and executed, uh, they would quote this, this scripture. This was their mandate. And they would have said probably the heart of this was the call to baptize, baptizing into the name of the Father. So this concept of believer's baptism 
was what cost them their lives. So this wasn't just everyone gets baptized, but it's you're baptized on confession of your faith. And so this was, that was, that was probably how they would have defined the core of the Great Commission. But if we were to ask that question here of each other today, what is the heart of this Great Commission? I think most of us would say it's those two words, make disciples. Not to minimize the importance of baptism, but I would say the heart of it would be make disciples. Make disciples. Agreed? Okay. Now let's think about the Great Commission in light of those two words. Let's think about each phrase. What's the relevance of each one of those phrases? Because they're all pregnant with meaning. What's the relevance of each one of those phrases in light of those two words, make disciples? That's our task over the next minutes here together this morning. Are you with me? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. What's the relevance of that statement in the light of those two words, make disciples? Why is it important that we know our leader has all authority? All authority in heaven and on earth. Now that is an audacious statement, isn't it? Have you ever heard anyone say anything like that ever before? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is uh, and there's something about authority that's unique. It's different than power. Authority requires something be conferred upon you. Anyone who takes authority upon themselves, that's illegitimate authority. That's why all the dictators and revolutionaries around the world are looking over their shoulder, because someone with a bigger gun or a bigger army is going to knock them off. Why? Because they took authority. When you're given authority, there is legitimacy to this. This is why democracy is predicated on this simple concept, among other things. That authority must be given to you, not taken by force. Jesus was given authority. And authority in the spirit realm is a very, uh, it's a very legal thing. It's not a question of who's the strongest. It, there are rules that God has placed in creation. And uh, Jesus was very aware of those rules. He is aware of who else was a usurper. He, he's aware of the other authorities, the other powers who were, who were trying to oppose the authority of God. He was aware of the rebellion in heaven. He was aware of the fallen angels. He was aware that when he was sent onto this earth, he was entering enemy territory. He was aware that he was on a mission to redeem and reclaim mankind who'd be given a free will and could rebel against God. And God had given them the freedom to do that. He was aware of what he was entering. He was aware of the stakes. He was aware of the prize. And when he said these words, he was victorious over sin and death. He was being given authority because of his path of obedience to the will of the Father that took him to the cross and in, past the cross through the resurrection. He was given authority. He was given authority. Ephesians chapter 2 gives us this picture, verses 1 to 3. And uh, we don't have to read through it, but you know this text. You know that we're under, we're born in sin. We're born under the authority of the world, the flesh, and the devil. This is our natural state as those who are born into a sinful world. And then verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 2, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. We were given salvation, offered it as a gift by, by God. But it, it describes the picture of being under an authority structure, the authority of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And some of us forget this. Forget this. If you're from a 10th generation Christian tradition, and your parents were Christians, and your grandparents were Christians, and your great-grandparents were Christians, it is a tremendous heritage. It is a tremendous gift. But somewhere along your, your spiritual heritage, somebody had to renounce 
the world, the flesh, and the de- somebody had to kick the demons out of your bloodline. That's how crass it is. And when you plant churches in first-generation contexts that are under the influence of the world, the flesh, and the devil, you are in a spiritual and intense spiritual battle. We know this, right? We know this. In the country of Laos, uh, communist Laos, uh, there's a a lot of uh, churches being planted, primarily amongst the tribal groups, the lowland Lao are still slow in responding to the gospel. Uh, we've been working with uh, the, the Kamu tribal group, and uh, they're all over Laos, but they're the indigenous people. Uh, they were there before the invaders came from what's now Vietnam, and uh, inverted the, they invaded the Khmer. And it's, a, it's a long story. But uh, one of, they're animists. They're not Buddhists. The Kamu the are animists, so they worship spirits, and they have... They have sacred places, and they have shamans who, who are the intermediaries with the spirit realm. And uh, one of these shamans, his first ten children died within weeks of being born. Ten children. So he's been honoring the spirits. He's been very influential in the community. He's the go-to person for anything significant in your life. But he himself has paid a tremendous price for worshiping unclean spirits. First 10 children, dead. 11th child, sick, in the local clinic. He comes to one of our evangelists and he says, pray for my kid. Would you pray to your God for my kid? And our evangelist says, "Uh, no. Uh, First, you must renounce your worship of the spirits. You must say no. You must forsake them. If you do that, Salvation will come to your life, peace will come to your home, and your child could live. But it starts with you. And so this shaman, desperate for his 11th child to live, renounces his worship of the spirits, says yes to Jesus, is delivered from darkness, from this realm, this principality, this kingdom of darkness, and is brought into the kingdom of light, as we were singing earlier. And then they pray for his son. And Jesus does a miracle and heals this kid. He is freed and delivered. So this man has a testimony. He goes back to his family, his community, his neighborhood, and he's telling everybody about Jesus. Jesus is greater than the spirits. Many people respond. In the first year, 800 people gave their lives to Jesus through this man's witness and testimony. He began planting churches in neighboring villages. Well, as soon as he left his local village to plant churches in other villages, the local security authorities, trained by the Chinese, uh, they, they, they arrested him. They said, you can't leave your village. This is illegal. He kept doing it. So they arrested him a second time. They kept doing it. The third time, the local policeman arrested him, was so angry with him, he beat him up, put him on the ground, took his rifle, and smashed him over the head with his rifle butt. He opened his head right up, gave him a concussion, cracked his skull, and he's basically killed him. He put him in a coma. Well, the medical care in Laos is not great. He was taken to a uh, hospital, and basically they said, you know, he's going to die. Some pastors heard about it. They gathered around his bed. They prayed for him, and Jesus brought this man out of a coma and healed him in the hospital. He went back to his village. He continues to preach the gospel. Six months later, the very policeman who attacked him is at the door to his little house, knocking on the door, saying, Hello, I have a a favor to ask of you. I'm being investigated for police brutality which is a miracle in itself in Laos. And I want you to sign this statement, this waiver form, absolving me of responsibility, or I'll lose my job. You know what this shaman, former shaman said? I've already forgiven you. When I, as soon as you assaulted me, I, I already was forgiving you. I myself have been a very bad man. But I've experienced the forgiveness and the love of God in Jesus. And I have no right to withhold that from you. 
And so he just shares the gospel with him in such a real and practical way. Well, what do you think this policeman did? He said, I want this. I want what you've got. I want this. I want this. This is what Jesus has done for us. He has delivered us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And he has given us freedom. So when Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth, I'm telling you, when we go into least reached places and we're making disciples, you will be tested in your capacity to live the reality of these words. Do you believe, do you know that Jesus has all authority? If you live this way, you are a tremendous gift wherever you go. You live free. You live free. Even if you're in a prison, you are free. You're under the authority of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But we are here on a mission in enemy territory. And so there is an enemy fighting us, and we need to know our authority in Christ. Do you know your authority in Christ as you make disciples? Do you know your authority in Christ as a disciple of Christ? Gene made reference to my, uh, uh, you know, my, my point of surrender when I was on that backpacking trip, age 19. And I was brought up as a, as a missionary kid in East Africa, and I prayed a prayer with my mother when I was very young. But that commitment didn't really grow with me. And so it wasn't until I was on that trip that I really came to, to terms with the, the, the authority of Christ. And I, I surrendered my will. And it's easy to give God your sin. I mean, it's, it's who wants to walk around with all of that baggage? Sin is easy. Your will is a lot harder. Your will, your future. So God wants our will. He wants our strength. He wants your future. He wants your time. We understand this this basic principle of discipleship, right? Jesus gets everything. In exchange, he gives us everything. This is the gospel. Anything less is a half gospel. And a half gospel won't transform. So I, I really was confronted with this gospel. And I surrendered my life. And it was through the witness of some uh, Hebrew, Jewish, and, and, and Palestinian believers who loved each other and loved Jesus and loved me that I experienced the gospel and really got it. And uh, it took me over a month. I was just watching them, asking lots of questions, and I was counting the cost. I was, I was just counting the cost. Am I ready? Am I all in, or am I just going to continue to be a And I just finally after, uh, you know, that month, I said, I, I, would you guys please pray for me? I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to fully surrender my life and surrender my will to Jesus. And this is what it means to come under Christ's authority. There is no authority without submission to authority. You understand that? We get that, right? Without full surrender to Christ's authority, he will not share his authority with us. I want to say as well, in the last 24 hours, I have sensed tremendous humility in this group. I want to commend you. I sense humility. There are many people here who uh, are letting Jesus be great in them, and it's not about them. And I want to—I want to say I can—I sense and I see the humility in your lives, and and it draws the presence of Jesus because He loves humility. He loves humility. I think it's the most attractive quality in the kingdom. Humility. We heard earlier, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so that's the mark of submitting to the authority of Jesus. We walk with humility. We give him the glory. Lots more we could say about that. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore, or therefore go. In light of that authority, I'm commissioning you. I'm sending you. What's the significance of that for making disciples? Now some people say, I'm just not the going kind. 
Like, I'm looking at a room of people that have gone. Okay? But we are an infinitesimally small fraction of the church. So if this is for the church, and not just for a few, you know, full-time vocational Christian workers, if this is a normative statement for the church, the whole church, then we need to redefine what it means to go, right? Or am I missing something here? Now, it's easy for us to be a little fuzzy on this because if we're honest, we have a special status within the church. We're those who have really gone. I want to appeal to us to get off that pedestal and call the whole church to see themselves as those who have been sent. This is critical if we are to see this gospel that Jesus gave us at the cost of his life bring transformation to nations. If the whole church is not living on mission, we will not accomplish this commission that Christ has given us. It's not just for a few of us, friends. This is for the whole church. That means when we get up in the morning, we submit ourselves to Christ's authority. We come under that authority. My first job this morning is to kneel before the throne. I do that each morning. I I surrender myself before the Lord. I offer myself to Him. I ask Him to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I set my face against pride, lust, fear, whatever would try to rob God of His glory in my life. And then I ask Him to fill me with the Holy Spirit. And I put on the armor of God. I just imagine that armor coming on. I just name all the pieces. And I offer myself to the mission of God today. Every one of us can go into our days, whether we're going to work, or we're going to the gym, or we're going to the department store, or we're going to our neighbor, Wherever we're going, we have this awareness that we are being sent under the authority of Jesus. This is what it means to be a disciple who lives on mission with Jesus. Amen? Mission is not just a location. It is a way of life. It's a way of understanding that you don't live for yourself anymore. You are a disciple under authority, and you are submitted to the the leading, the orders, the command of your leader. This is how we live our lives. If the church will live like this, uh, the nations will see and hear the gospel in ways we've never seen it before. And I believe it's us, it's our responsibility as those who have gone in, you know, in, in this cross-cultural kind of way. It's, it's, it's one of our responsibilities to call the rest of our brothers and sisters to see themselves as those who also are called to go wherever they are under the authority of Christ. Let's redeem this word, go. Let's redeem this word, go. We might lose a little of our privileged status in the process, but friends, we have so much more to gain. So much more to gain. We're called, the church is called to go. Now this is a paradigm shift. Go, we know before Christ, the whole paradigm was come, right? Come and see. Come and see. Come and see. Come to the temple. And we know the Ethiopian eunuch was just an example. There were so many people from the nations that came to Jerusalem. Why? Because in that building, it wasn't just the architectural wonder of that building. It was that there was a spiritual being, the living presence of God, the Shekinah glory of God was in the building. It was represented by fire. And you know the story when the building was dedicated The presence of God, I mean, was just so strong. People could not even stand up. They're prostrate. This is the attractional model of come and see. 
This is a place where God has worshipped Jerusalem on that mountain. The paradigm shifts with the coming of Christ. It comes, the shift, and others have made much of this. We don't need to belabor the point here, but it shifts from come and see to go and tell. And this is the paradigm shift of the kingdom and the Great Commission. We're now sent as disciples who make disciples. And we're sent with this good news. Now, why? Because we carry within ourselves the very presence of God. The Shekinah glory of God through the Holy Spirit indwells us. Our bodies are like temples of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to go to a special place in Jerusalem to find the living presence of God. You can experience it yourself wherever you are on planet Earth. This is the wonder of the intimacy with God through the blood of Christ and the person of the Holy Spirit. It's an incredible thing. And so we carry this good news. The gospel is not just a message to speak. It's a reality to live. It is the very presence of God inside of us that we carry wherever we go. And you know that in the unseen realm, you carry the light and presence of God. You realize that? Do you realize when you walk into the room, if there's any unclean spirits in the place, they can see the glory of God in you? Do you realize that? Darkness always overcomes light. Do you realize that? So we have a praise, a praise march, Jesus march on the streets of Kinshasa. A couple of North American kids on a summer mission, a couple of hundred Congolese kids, banners, Jesus. You know, we, Graham Kendrick was doing this. This was a big deal back in the day. People marching through the city streets all over the world. We're doing this through Kinshasa. There's a street kid beside the road. His name's Bob. And uh, our youth leader in the area, Movungu, he's, he says to Movungu, who are these white Muzungus? Who are, why are they here? Bob says, well, they're here to bless us. They're here from North America. They're here just to be a blessing, encourage us. And Bob wants to meet them. So he says, come on with us to the church. The march ends in the church. They have a little worship time. They're going to eat some food. Bob's hungry. Movungu knows Bob through reputation. He knows that he's a witch. He's a a witch. He's a kid. He's 12, 13 years old. He's involved in witchcraft. And he's been ostracized by his family. So he's been trained by his uncle. He calls him up on stage in front of a couple of hundred Christian young people. Calls him up on stage. Bob, what do you do? I'm a witch. What does that mean? Like, what specifically do you do? Well, I'm an assassin. What what does that mean? I go on. I was trained by my uncle. I go on night flights. I astral. He didn't use this word, but I leave my body. I go on night flights, I enter people's houses, rooms, and I kill them if someone pays my uncle for this thing to happen. Have you ever tried to kill a Christian? Yeah, I tried to kill the pastor of this Batala MB church named Nzuzi. What happened? I entered his bedroom at night. He was sleeping with his wife, and he was, as I approached him, I could, not, I could not get close to him. Why is that? He was surrounded by light. He was surrounded by light. What is that light? I don't know. Have you ever tried to kill any other Christians? Yes. What happens? I approach them in the spirit, not in the flesh. I approach them in the spirit. I'm unable to get close because they're surrounded by light. Do you know what that light is? No. That is the glory of God. That's the very presence of God. Would you like to experience that, Bob? Yes, I would. They take him aside. They cast out a bunch of evil spirits out of his life. They lead Bob to Jesus. He's filled with this glory, this light, this presence that we were just singing about. This is not a metaphor. This isn't just a picture. This is a reality. It's the Shekinah glory of God indwelling his people. These temples and light always overcomes darkness. We're overcomers. We're called to go into the darkest places on planet Earth and give radiant testimony to the light of God's presence. That's who we are. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Why? Because you carry something. It's not just a message. It's not just an intellectual message. It's not just giving mental assent to a bunch of propositional truths. It is the very reality of God's presence that we carry. We are salt and light. You are the light 
of the world. You are the light of the world. Go, therefore. Go, therefore, make disciples. Make disciples. What does this mean? Lots of different passages we could look at. I like Mark 8. I like Matthew 16. Matthew 16, Jesus is, he's, uh, he feeds 4,000. And then he asks his disciples, I'm paraphrasing here, we could read it. He asks his disciples, so who do people say that I am? Well, some say you're John the Baptist, you're Jeremiah, you're one of the prophets. Okay, but who do you say that I am? And Peter says, uh, you're the Christ. You are the Messiah. And Jesus said, that's right, that's right. And that wasn't revealed to you by flesh and blood, that the Father showed you that. And, and you're, you're Simon, but I'm, you're now Peter, Petra, rock. I'm going to build my church on this rock, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And then he explains to them, he is, as Messiah, going to suffer. He's going to be rejected. He will die. And three days later, he will rise from the dead. They don't understand what he's saying. They are profoundly disillusioned. And Peter says, I will talk to him. I'll talk to him. Why would Peter want to talk to him? Because he's just fed 4,000 people. You can eradicate world hunger. Right? I mean, this is a game changer. You can heal every single blind person. You can, the lame, every demonized person, every sick person, every hungry person. This is the Messiah. And you can get rid of the Romans while you're at it. I mean, this is the answer. He is the one. He is the Messiah. He's come to bring change. He can't die. This story cannot end that way. I'll talk to him. I'm pretty sure I can get his attention. So Peter comes alongside him and he says, Jesus, like, no, 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 no. You're not going to die. You are the king. You're the Messiah. You're the, you're the answer we've been looking for. <coughs> and what does Jesus do? He looks right at Peter and he says, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. And he realizes he's now contending for what it means to be, he's not just contending for the gospel, he's contending for what it means to be a disciple. And so he says, get in here, guys. <clears throat> he calls his disciples in, and he calls the crowd in, and he says, listen up. I'm not the only one who's going to die. If any of you want to be my disciple, you too will have to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. I am so grateful that Jesus took the cross. And we're singing these songs. I'm so grateful for grace. I'm so grateful for everything he did. But don't miss this, friends. You and I also take up our cross every single day. We die to self and we say, it's all about you, Jesus. Not my will, your will be done. This is the price of being a disciple of Christ. Any other definition will not transform lives. We miss this to our peril. We cannot disciple people unless they first enter this small, narrow doorway. It's about death. Not just Christ's death, our death. This is what it means to be born again. Because we've lost this understanding in the West, and we have truncated the gospel to a lowest common denominator self-improvement plan, we are wondering why the church is not transformed and it's not bringing transformation to our culture. Friends, let's go back to first beginnings. Let's go back to the, the very essence and DNA of the gospel. Jesus gave his life. He gave everything. He paid the price. 
He calls us to lay down our lives, to give him everything. This is not just for missionaries. It's not just for hardcore committed Christians and vocational ministries. This is for people entry-level, rank-and-file followers of Jesus Christ. This is for everybody. Or you're not a disciple. Am I being a little too clear on this? Too pa- you guys going to give me some grace here? Can I be passionate about this stuff? This is what it means to be a disciple. And if we get this wrong, if our DNA is not clear on this point, everything that follows will be off. Everything that follows will be off. All authority, heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples, these kinds of disciples, disciples who look like Jesus. The next session we're going to talk about what it means to be a disciple in the way of Jesus himself was a disciple. Do you realize that? Jesus became a disciple. Like there was a process that Jesus went through. He wasn't just instant, ready, perfect. It, it was a pro- he learned obedience by the things he suffered. And once made perfect, became the source of salvation for those who believe. That's, it was a process. He learned to know and the will of his Father. He then taught his disciples to be a disciple like him. There is no other way. This is the DNA of a disciple of Christ. Go make disciples of all nations, all ethne. Now what does this mean, all ethne? Well, we know our friend Welf Winter helped us out here a generation ago. And it's not just countries, it's obviously ethno-linguistic people groups. So within a country like India, China, there could be thousands of ethne, nations, people groups, distinct cultures. And so this is our call. Our task is to make disciples of each one of these ethne, these nations. And it's exciting. This is an exciting day to be living on mission with Jesus. There is so much happening. Thank you, Darwin. There is so much happening today in the transformation of people groups. One of the areas, and, and, and I don't know, um, I, I, hear, I heard Darwin's heart this morning in our prayer time. God give us, you know, he's asking for an inheritance amongst least reached people groups. And his heart is to go to places where people have not yet heard the gospel. Do you hear that heart? That's the heart of Jesus, to continually go beyond where we are right now. That's the heart of every apostolic leader. I want to preach the gospel where no one's heard the gospel yet. So ask the Lord of the harvest to send. You heard my alarm go off after the worship thing? Every, every single morning at 10.02, Luke 10.2, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. We've got thousands of people who've got their phones alarms sent to 10.02. Are you with me? Because this is our number one mobilization strategy. You're wondering where the summer workers are going to come from? I'm telling you, it's 10.02. It's, it's ask the Lord of the harvest. He will send out laborers. Prayer is our number one and best strategy. Jesus can mobilize people. Let's cry out to him to send out workers, okay? Set your alarms, 10.02. Do it. There's worse things, you know, I mean, I know it sounds a little legalistic, but it'll remind you. To pray every day, 10.02. Ask the Lord of the harvest. So anyways, um, where were we? Make disciples of all nations. So the Tibetan people uh, are one of those nations that has not responded. I mean, there's probably, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 Tibetan believers in the world. I mean, do you know many? Like, there's a handful. There are hardly any Tibetan believers. This is one of those least-reached ethnic people groups. And so we're praying. And oh, we've got a couple of families working out there and uh, translating the Bible into various Tibetan languages. And uh, one of them, uh, earlier this year, at the beginning of the year, God gave him a promise, and the word was fulfillment. I'm going to bring fulfillment to your prayers this year in reaching the Tibetan. This was last year, 2016. Fulfillment. I'm at a resource and conference like this with him in, in, in Thailand in October, and he gives me this word. He says, God's promised me this year is a year of fulfillment. So I've gone through my prayer journal for the last 15 years, 
And I've got all the promises that God's given me. And I'm, I'm just reminding the Lord through this year, this is what you promised me. I I'm not seeing it yet. I'm not seeing it. But I, I, I believe you're going to bring fulfillment. October, nothing. I have not seen it yet. We get a call middle of December. He's like, you won't believe what God just did. This ranking... Uh, 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 Tibetan Buddhist, Buddha, uh, he's a living Buddha, okay? So he's a living, he's like right at the top of the, you know, the Buddhist thing. And he's a living Buddha. He is in charge of training hundreds and thousands of young uh, monks. And he has been with this family, and he has seen their life, he's seen the gospel, and he says, he calls them up and says, I want to send groups, not just one. I want to send groups of young monks in training, teenagers, to you. And I want you to teach them what you know about Jesus. And I want you to give them so that they have a choice as to whether they want to be Buddhists or whether they want to be followers of Jesus. Can you believe that? That is amazing. That is like, in missions, that's like, that is Christmas, Easter, that's all, everything all wrapped up in one. It's like, what? Amazing. So within the cultural context of this Tibetan Buddhist culture, they are wanting Jesus, the gospel, and a clear understanding of who it is Jesus is, and then what it means to know and follow him, to be given to their young monks. And then these monks have the potential to be carriers of this gospel back to their villages, back to their families. This is a potential game changer for the whole Tibetan mission story. Isn't this incredible? This is Jesus on a mission to reach this ethne, this Tibetan people group. There are no, no people groups on this planet that are outside of God's redemptive plan. He has a plan for everyone. And I just, we need to lean into this in prayer. We need to lean in and ask God, I'm asking you, Father, for an inheritance amongst those last remaining people groups. I want to be a part of seeing the gospel come to those people. Ask God with that kind of faith and that kind of clarity at 10.02 every day. Ask God to send people and to give you a part of that inheritance. It's a tremendous privilege. It's a tremendous privilege. So this is what we're calling the church to. Make disciples of all nations. All nations. The most uh, populated, unreached area in the world is... We could probably debate this for all. I'm going to say it's North India. 300 million people north of Delhi in that whole North India region... Uh, thousands of unreached people groups still to this day. Uh, it's the birthplace of four of the world religions. The Dalai Lama's there. Uh, Sikhism's there, you know. Jamism and, uh, and they've got lots of Muslims in the Kashmir area. It's a, it's a dark, challenging place. Uh, every one of our teams we've ever sent up there has been nailed. Sickness, depression, uh, you know, just all kinds of physical, spiritual attacks at every level. It is a challenging place to live on mission. Uh, let's cry out to God for these last frontiers of mission around the world, friends. Let's pray. Let's encourage. We have to work together. I want to say, on behalf of MB Mission, whatever we have is yours. Okay? The day for independent mission work is over. It's over. It's over. We have to work collaboratively. We have to work together. Denominational agencies, translation agencies, church planting agencies, no matter what your background is, you have something to bring to the table. We've got to work together. We have to. This is the heart of the Lord. This is the heart of the Lord. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father, into the name of the Son, into the name of... This is a Trinitarian 
missiology that we're being invited into. This is a community, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit living in loving, mutual, honoring, submission one to another. There's a beautiful community. God is one, but we know He lives in this unique mystery and dynamic of community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we are invited into this as our new identity. Baptism is the entry point into this new identity. We are now carrying the name of the Father, the name of the Son, and the name of the Spirit. This is over our lives. This is our new identity. And if we don't teach this, we will let the world define the value and worth of our disciples. Our value and worth doesn't come from our salary. It doesn't come from our our last name. It doesn't come from the size of our house. It doesn't come from the size of our car. It doesn't come from any status symbol. It comes from the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. This is our identity. This is what it means to be a disciple who knows who he is. We're going to talk more about this this weekend. But as we're laying foundations in first-generation church context, identity is very important. Let's not give them our organizational names as the identity. Let's call them into the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. They know who they are and whose they are. This is what it means to make disciples who, who are clear on their identity. And again, there's so much more we could unpack related to that. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm landing this plane here. Uh, teaching them to observe also its obedience. A couple of things I note here. Um, one, first of all, the whole concept of obedience as a disciple. Um, we know that it's not about just information, but it's about f- obeying the Lord. And it's the Holy Spirit. So if we teach If we teach disciples how to learn to listen, like Isaiah 50 says, open your ears, learn to listen like one being taught. My sheep know my voice. My sheep know my voice. If you learn to be led by the Spirit, if you learn to obey the slightest prompting of the Holy Spirit, who's going to be your best marriage coach? It's going to be the Holy Spirit. Who's going to be your best church planning coach? It's going to be the Holy Spirit. Who's going to be your best... Life coach, in terms of effective, fruitful living, it's going to be the Holy Spirit. If you learn to be led and prompted by the Spirit of God, it is a game changer. So learning to obey means you actually begin to cooperate with the living presence of God indwelling you. And when you read the Word, you read the Word listening to the Spirit. So every morning... I open the Word and I'm reading systematically. I use the Life Journal reading plan. So I'm reading the Old Testament once and the New Testament twice every year. And if you want some encouragement, I write a devotional every morning. And it's on the YouVersion Bible app. Whole Bible reading plan. It's called Listening to the Word. You can download it. You can get it into your phone every morning. And it gives you the Scriptures, Old Testament, New Testament. And it gives you a little missional devotional that I heard from the Holy Spirit that morning two or three years ago, um, because that's how it works. But I just find it so life-giving to be in the presence of the Lord every morning. This is the highlight of my day, honestly. This is the highlight of my day. Listening to the Holy Spirit and then being led by the Spirit through the day. This is our privilege as sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father. So listen to the Word and then obey. Listen to the Spirit and obey. And then live this discipleship journey in community. This is not meant to be done alone. We're meant to be in mutual submission one to another. We can't accomplish this call to live on mission with Jesus as disciples alone. He never intended it that way. So we're in community. And we need to listen to one another well. And it's that community that often rubs us and refines us. And we are hearing God most clearly through our brothers and sisters as they speak words of encouragement and also rebuke and challenge to us. 
Our capacity to sustain this walk of discipleship is predicated by our, our willingness to live in community. Isolated solo disciples don't finish well. They don't. They don't finish well. So we've got to be doing this in community. My brothers and sisters, help me obey everything that Christ commanded me. And when I'm together with a whole cross-section of them, and I love it when it's cross-cultural, when there's many of us from different nations coming together, we then all see this truth from our own cultural angles. And the church helps each other be faithful in following and obeying what Christ commanded us because of the unique perspectives that each of the cultures bring. So we don't get our, you know, we don't get this discipleship thing right if we just live in monoculture with monocultural glasses, reading the Word of God. We're, we're blind, actually, to our own nationalism. We're blind to our own imperialism. We're blind to our own sins, cultural sins. So we need each other in the global body of Christ to actually follow and obey what Christ has commanded us. This is the beautiful thing. When you live in other cultural contexts, it is so enriching, isn't it? It's so enriching. God uses this big family to help us be faithful to the, to the teachings and, and the truth that Christ has given us. And I, I would say a little, a little phrase, when you don't obey, you want to stay. You want to stay. When you don't obey, you want to stay. When you don't obey, you're not looking to live on mission. You're not looking to go every day. When you get up in the morning, you're not seeing yourself as a sent one. You're kind of stuck by your own sin strongholds. When you don't obey, you want to stay. When you, when you, if you want to grow, you got to go. It, you know, it, it, those things go together. I mean, there's little cute little phrases, but there is something about obedience that continues to open up new doors of opportunity for us in mission. So who are you helping to obey all that Christ commanded us? And lastly, Jesus says, I'm going to be with you always to the very end of the age. So that's really good news for us disciples. No matter where you are, Jesus is with you. His presence is with us. He's with us through his spirit. We've got new churches we've seen started in Saudi Arabia. Okay, so there's house churches in Mecca. Uh, don't put this on the internet, but there's house churches on Mecca in Mecca, and uh, it's it's encouraging, right? There's a woman who's been in touch with our follow-up team, who's leading a house church, and uh, but it's a small little fellowship, her and a few friends, and she's she's like, well, I got three prayers. I want to, I want to one day hold a Bible. She doesn't have a Bible yet. She just uses an online, you know, on her phone and online Bible. I want to hold a Bible at some point. I'd like to actually have a physical Bible. Secondly, I'd love to worship with a bunch of people because uh, she has to be very, they have to be very careful and they worship uh, most freely by themselves in cars or online. And thirdly, I'd like to be water baptized. She's not yet been water baptized. And so uh, I'd like to be water baptized. And you can't baptize yourself. And so she doesn't feel like there's anyone who can really. And so there's just... These are the aspirations of a brand new church planter in Mecca, Saudi Arabia, and the Lord Jesus is present. I was in a remote part of Myanmar uh, last week, up in the mountains, no electricity, no running water, just crazy place. I wasn't feeling well. I was with a bunch of new Christians up on this mountainous thing, and I'm telling you, the worship time was so sweet. I was just weeping because of the presence of Jesus. It was like he was right there in our circle. He was right there. And I just sensed the Lord saying, Randy, I told you, if you come out here, you'll meet me. If you come out here, you'll meet me. And out here means the places, the, the front edge, the frontiers, where, where, where people have not yet heard of Christ. I believe Jesus wants to reveal his living presence as we enter mission, those kind of mission contexts with them. He is... He's just he's just gonna he's just gonna meet us again and again and again. So I want to commend you for going places and living on mission. And Jesus is here with us. His living presence is encouraging us. I pray that you sense his presence over these days, encouraging you, talking to you, reminding you of things that you already know. Let's let's pray. Lord, thank you that this 
simple call to be disciples who make disciples is uh, still fresh and relevant for us today, 2,000 years later. Thank you that you've kept this message clear and alive within us through the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we want to be faithful to this call. I thank you for just reminding us of these simple truths here this morning. Thank you for the faithful servants in this room. Lord, we just are reminded again that this is a costly call. This is a call to be laying our lives down for you anew and afresh today. Just want to give you that space for a minute or two just to tell the Lord that you're willing to surrender every area of your life to him. You're willing to give him everything. There is nothing that you're going to hold back. Just let him know that. Let him know that you're, you want to be a disciple who makes disciples. Thank you, Lord. What a privilege it is to walk with you. Continue to encourage us, Lord. Seal these words. May the enemy not snatch us away in Jesus' name.